Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. What's the matter? What's bothering you? I'll handle it. I told you I can handle it. I'll handle it. I knew that Satana was going to have to go through all this. And Fredo... Fredo was... And I never... I never wanted this for you. Governor... I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those big shots. I don't apologize. That's my life. But I thought that... But when it was your time, that... That you would be the one to hold the strings. Senator Corleone... Governor Corleone, this wasn't enough time, Michael. Wasn't enough time. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. Seminal moment in American history. Welcome to the Savage Nation. Senator Corleone, Governor Corleone. We'll get there, Pop. We didn't have time. We'll get there, Pop. So this is a long story, crime and punishment in America, and I want to talk about that today, crime and punishment in America. When did crime, organized crime, begin in America? Many of you are mistaken about it. And of course, if I didn't talk to you about prison menus and what people eat in prison, I'd be remiss because I'm a a foodie. I'm a food person. I looked at a Federal Bureau of Prison certified food menu for an entire week, I'll tell you, I'm not looking to go to jail, but I'll tell you, they eat pretty good. They eat better than most senior citizens in the in the prisons. You look at the menu, I'm going to read it to you. 
Every morning I get up, I got to like scrounge around. I mean, even if I shop, it's a pain in the in the neck. I got to make coffee. Then I got to think what I'm going to eat. I, I don't like it. I don't want to go out anymore. I cannot stand restaurants. I cannot take listening to people. I can't stand waiting for a table. I don't. I go in a place. Then you got to tell the waiter with a smile what you wanted. They'll spit in your food. I don't want it. So I get takeout now with a delivery service. It's even worse. I got spaghetti and meatballs last night. It came without sauce. All I said was, tell him not to put cream in the sauce. I got no sauce. I got punished. Now, I'm not saying I want to go into a prison where it's all uh, cut out for me. But I thought you'd like to know, number one, the origins of organized crime in America and what people eat in prison. So where did organized crime originate in America? We go back to the Revolutionary War, the people who fought against the Brits. I don't see any crime in the history of America at that time. Of course, we have not yet Elizabeth Warren, let uh, historian Elizabeth Warren tell us that just coming to America was crime. We will wait to hear that uh, uh, when she uh, gets to the next level of insanity, or they tell us that anyone who backs Trump is a terrorist, that's coming next. But uh, organized crime, as you know it, can be traced back to the street gangs of the 1800s in New York, such as the 40 thieves in New York. And who were they? Who were the 40 thieves? And why did they become criminals? Hundreds of immigrants, immigrants, sound familiar, came together for financial gain and to protect themselves. They felt they could only rely on each other, and they felt that organized crime was a means to improve their lives and protect themselves from other gangs and corrupt police officers in that time. And who were they? The 40 thieves were made up of Irish Americans, and they lived in slums. They worked for almost nothing a day, if they could get any work at all. So they created gangs. Uh, they gave themselves criminal assignments. They got quotas for the number of illegal activities they're expected to, to commit. They got so successful that they went into politics. And one of the best-known gangsters was Boss Tweed, T-W-E-E-D. He even became a public official. He took charge of Tammany Hall, an affiliate of the New York Democratic Party. Now, I want to pause for a minute on Tammany Hall because, as I've told you, the interlocking affinities between the Democrat Party and, and organized crime goes all the way back to Tammany Hall. Did you know that? Nothing has really changed. Fundamentally, the Democrat Party is a party of gangsters. Now, Boss Tweed ran Tammany Hall, which controlled New York politics for over 150, almost 150 years. California today is run exactly like that. We don't call it Tammany Hall. I don't know what it's called today. I don't know who runs it. But I do know that it's a corrupt one-party system, which is why they teach rubbish in the schools and the roads are broken. And they tax people to debt, debt to death. And they flood America and their state, rather, with illegal aliens, which is how they got their power base. By the mid-50s of the 1800s, the group called the 40 Thieves had dissolved. They just dissolved, and they went into other gangs. And organized crime groups in America continued to flourish over the next couple of decades. And then came the Italian-Americans who formed the Mafia, or the American Cosa Nostra, which we all know doesn't exist. We all know the Mafia doesn't exist. But according to uh, scholars, it does exist. And, of course, mafia organizations were recognized and feared. You look at the word mafia. You know what it means? Jim, do you speak any Italiano? Mafia means my daughter. I don't know. If you look at the word, I, I've talked about the origins of the word mafia. Americans, we say mafia. But mafia means my daughter. 
And I was told that originally these were local Italians in Sicily who banded together to protect their daughters from the lords of the manors who were taking their daughters like Epstein was doing with young girls and doing what they would with the young girls. They were just coming into villages, picking the prettiest girls and removing them from the village for their own pleasure. If you don't want to believe it happened, it did happen. And so the men had had enough of that. There were no police to protect them. So these rough peasants got together with their hoes, with their rakes, with their stones, but mainly with their brazen, bold guts, and they created an organization to protect their daughters. That's one one thought of how it began. But then Prohibition came along, and Prohibition made this organization as big as they became. Once the U.S. declared the manufacture or sale of alcohol to be illegal, bingo, crime took off in America in the most phenomenal way. And uh, the rest is history. It was all about prohibition that led to the biggest burst in organized crime, which is why people argue today that all drugs in America should be made legal. Like if you were to legalize all drugs, what would be left for the organized crime groups? Tell me. What would they what would they trade in? That's another question. Of course, you're saying you're going to drug America. It's one crime or another. You're going to drug America by making heroin legal. It's a very tough problem that I don't intend to have any solution for, by the way. So we're talking about crime and punishment in America. And we're going to talk today about should ethnic study classes be eliminated in all schools. You know, ethnic studies may have begun with good intentions, but what ethnic studies have become today is anti-white hatred. And I think it's time to end all ethnic studies classes in America. Also, why is the media silent on the shootings of ICE facilities? Also, why is Trump rather silent on the Hong Kong protests? This is his chance to shine and be a leader of democracy around the world. He certainly has skilled, intelligent people around him who could parse this in such a way where he maintains relations with China, okay, but says something in the name of freedom as Ronald Reagan would have done it. What should we do about China wanting to take over Hong Kong, if anything? Should we even get involved? What about the Chinese students who are here on visas? Should they be thrown out of the country? On the election trail, the communist Elizabeth Warren catches Biden. Do you think either of them could beat Trump? Who do you fear most if they became president, Biden or Warren? They're really one and the same. Bernie is over. He's finished. We hear he's looking into seltzer routes in Saudi Arabia, but there aren't any for sale uh, because the Arabs don't drink seltzer. And what about the economy? All indicators are showing we're hitting a stone wall here and that the economy may tank before the next election. That's a big one. That is a big one. The phone number here, if you care to comment on any of these topics, from organized crime to disorganized politics, is 855-400-SAVAGE, 855-400-7282. Or what is the number one topic that you want to talk about today? Please do not mention Frito. We're Fritoed out. We're finished with Fritos. We did it yesterday. No, he didn't. No, no. Limp Paw did not use the word Frito first. Michael Savage was using Limp, was using this long before Limp Paw. Frito was a standard stock and trade of this show going back to 2000, I think at five, when I used to play Frito on the show. So please, don't tell me who started using this. I'm sick and tired of hearing about copycats who copy me and then make believe they invented it. And what's the difference anyway? It's trivial. It's garbage. It's nothing. I'd rather talk about crime and punishment. And today I'm going to focus on another topic that you real men are not going to be interested in, which is the environment and animals. I know that real men aren't interested in the environment. 
real men crush the environment. And you're not interested in animals. You kill furry animals. You torture furry animals. That's the sign of a real man. But I care about the environment, and I care about uh, the land and the animals. And I'm going to ask you, is it weak for men to care about animals in the land? It's a huge topic, and I'm going to talk about it because I hope to sway an entire generation to become good shepherds of this planet as conservatives. Back in a minute. Savage. Now, we're never going to agree on politics, but I think we can all agree we could use more sleep. Now, getting a great night's sleep is much easier than ever thanks to the world's softest sheets brought to you by Bowl and Branch. Everything Bowl and Branch makes from bedding to blankets is made from pure 100% organic cotton, which means they start out super soft and they get even softer over time. Everyone who tries Bowl and Branch sheets loves them. That's why they have thousands of five-star reviews. And Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, and Fast Company are all talking about Bowl and Branch. Their sheets are even loved by three U.S. presidents. They want you to love your purchase, too, so they offer you a no-risk 30-day trial of free shipping. But I doubt that you'll want to send them back. Once you sleep on Bowl and Branch sheets, you're not going to want to sleep on anything else. Now, to get you started right now, my listeners, get $50 off your first set of sheets at bowlandbranch.com. Promo code NATION. Please go to bowlandbranch.com for $50 off your first set of sheets. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code NATION. Bowlandbranch.com. Promo code NATION for the best night's sleep of your life. Bowlandbranch.com. Promo code NATION. Summer, summertime. Everyone's mind is somewhere else. No one really cares really about politics right now. We know the left has become completely unhinged. Anything they disagree with is a racist or a terrorist. They have no, no platform to make America anything again. All they want to do is tear it all down. They hate white people, even though they're all white, with rare exception. And no one's ta- paying any attention to them. Then we have a president who's floundering. I know I'm not supposed to say it, but we know it's true. He promised the wall. We have no wall. Yes, I will blame the Democrats, but there's no wall. That's over. Uh, the economy, well, you could argue it's doing well, but the indicators are a little worrisome. You look at the uh, pictures, the graphs from those who know. Yields flash recession warning, stocks die, banks hammered, it's on the top of drudge. I know it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything because you haven't heard it coming from uh, Limpaw. Unless Limp tells you what to think, you can't think most of you. But look at the graph yourself. Limp can't control everything in your mind, can he? Can limp control everything in your brain? Yields flash, recession warning, stocks dive, banks hammered. You're going to blame the Democrats for that now? You can. Blame Obama. No, I want you to blame Obama. That'll be the next one limp comes up with. That Obama did it. That's why the banks are being hammered. Greenspan says no barrier to treasuries failing, falling, falling below 0%. How could a treasury fall below 0%? What does that even mean? No one even knows what that means. 30-year record low. So it's worrisome. A lot of, you know, like warning signs are going off. And anyone who has studied uh, recession or studied depression or studied economics 101 knows that there are cycles in uh, financial markets. There have always been cycles up and down. Nothing goes up forever. This market has been run up so high. Through artificial means, it was only a matter of time until it started to take a breather. 
Now, maybe it'll come back and go up a little bit more. There's no way a market can go up forever. Nothing can go up forever. Housing prices peaked out in California, especially in the upper end, the real high end, down in Beverly Hills in that area. Everyone knows that they've peaked because Trump destroyed the tax situation here in California. So the rich people of California, even those who support Trump, got screwed very badly. The same is true in New York. If you're a wealthy Republican who supported Trump, you got badly hurt with the income tax reform. The average person did okay. But the big winners in the tax reform plan were, uh, of course, the major corporations. You could argue that's good for the economy. You could also argue they're not paying their fair share. And we could all ask, why are the tech giants still not paying their fair share? Why are, the, uh, why are they allowed to use the offshore affiliates for their tax havens under Donald Trump? I thought that was going to all come to an end. You want to fix the economy? Make the five or six tech giants pay their fair share. They're not supposed to be able to get away without paying taxes. They're probably paying less taxes than every any millionaire in America. They don't take a, a regular income. It's sickening how they can get around it. So there are ways to fix things without punishing earners in this country, but punishing those who are evading taxes under the uh, under the current law. So things are in trouble right now. We have a little bit of a problem going on. Something's going on here. And the uh, recession warnings are flashing. Stocks are diving. Bank stocks are being hammered. you got to pay attention to this. So what are you going to do about it? What, what does the average person actually do in advance of these things? Usually nothing. Do you buy gold? Do you buy stored food? I mean, there are my advertisers. They are. But there's a good reason for it because they make sense. People plan in advance. You don't remember a statement I read that Al, I was, a, well, I, one of my favorite authors was Aldous Huxley. And I also loved his brother's work, Julian Huxley, who was a biologist. And Huxley came from a prominent English family, brilliant men in his time. And he said the family had an adage that they taught all their sons. In times of strength, prepare for times of weakness. You probably never heard that. You haven't heard it because people don't read Huxley. They don't know who he is. And I do because I did. In times of strength, prepare for times of weakness. So how are you preparing for the possible downturn? What are you doing? Are you selling your stocks? Are you selling your real estate? Are you going to all cash? Are you buying gold? What are you doing, actually, to prepare for a possible? It doesn't mean it's going to go into a crash mode, but it means that things are going to change. And when they do change, what are you going to do? I fear that if these psychopaths like Elizabeth Warren get control of this government, we will lose the ability to provide food for our own population. They are so sick and so stupid that they'll turn this country into Zimbabwe. They will make raising crops a crime. They will say it produces too much carbon dioxide. This is how idiotic Elizabeth Warren actually is. They don't know anything, yet they talk about everything as though they do. They could destroy farming in this nation. They could kill livestock uh, in this country to uh, protect the environment in their minds. We'll wind up importing food from where? Tell me where, China? Savage. Look, do you have constant pain? There's CryoFreeze Roll-On. It was developed by Omax Health. It actually works for triple action pain relief. Whether you're an athlete, weekend warrior, or anyone who lives with constant joint pain, back pain, muscle soreness, or arthritis, I want you to try CryoFreeze. The real secret behind CryoFreeze Pain Relief Roll-On 
are its two ingredients, CBD and menthol, for its soothing sensation of pain. Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze Pain Relief Roll-On, and you get free shipping. This discount also applies towards any product site-wide. That means on their whole site. Will you please go to omaxhealth.com and enter code SAVAGE to take advantage of this incredible savings. Let me just say it to you again. CryoFreeze Roll-On works. I've tried it. And it contains stuff that works, menthol and CBD oil. CBD is not the active component of marijuana. And Omax Health will offer my listeners 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze pain relief roll-on and free shipping. But I'm going to tell you something good. This discount also applies towards any product on their entire site. Would you please go to omaxhealth.com, that's O-M-A-X health.com, code S-A-V-A-G-E. You're going to get 20% off this pain-relieving cryo-freeze and anything else you buy in their site. OmaxHealth.com, code SAVAGE. Why don't we begin with Scott in Santa Rosa, California. Scott, what's your topic? What are you calling about? Dr. Savage, I have, I grew up as a hunter up in Northern California. And later on in life, I kind of accepted the fact that killing animals for sport, more so for food, is really kind of what it should all be about. But I did read an article that you wrote about a bull's perspective at a bullfight. And oh. that article that you wrote was so moving to me that I sent that article to just about everybody I knew. Mm. And, and I just felt that that, personally, I consider myself a real man, and I love animals beyond love. And I think that there's anybody that can't see it from an animal's perspective, like you wrote in that article, I don't... Well, you see, but this makes you a more full human being. Having compassion, meaning feelings for other living things actually begins with animals. And if we lose the ability to feel what an animal is feeling, we'll lose the ability to feel what we're feeling, and we will lose the ability to feel what others are feeling. We'll become numb like most Americans. But how is it that some people never even have it to lose it? I don't know. Well, okay, that's another question. I think they're called sociopaths or psychopaths. People without any emotional feelings for any other living thing are called sociopaths, right? Or if it's... uh, on a homicidal level, they become s- s- psychopaths. You ask, how could a person break into someone's house and torture a couple to death and kill them? Ask, how could they do that? Well, they're both sociopathic and psychopathic. They have no feeling for the person they're torturing. Did you know kids when you were young who would hurt little animals? Yeah, and they typically grow up to be... Lawyers, right? mortgage brokers lawyers real estate agents what do they become i don't know seriously Uh, i knew kids i knew mean kids and they were they were pretty mean i knew crazy kids i told you i grew up in an insane neighborhood most became pretty normal people that i know of i never kept in touch but two of three brothers wound up executed in new york state electric chair would you believe it yeah they were so mean and i don't know why the mother and father were sweet people I don't know whether it was genetic, could have been. Two of the three brothers wound up executed by New York State in an electric chair. I remember when we were little kids, they took a redheaded kid in the in the lot across from the tenement that I lived in, 
and they tied him to a tree. I remember it to this day, and they set him on fire. I swear to God, they set a fire at his feet because he was redheaded, and he started to scream. I was a little kid, like four or five, and the men came running out of the building with pails of water and put the fire out. They were crazy. There are crazy people out there, Scott. Yes, yes, there are. So, okay, so what do they become in life, honestly? Some of them can channel the craziness, overcome it, and turn it into sports. They can turn it into a, a career, a profession. They can, can become fighters. Others can't, and they become criminals. So you, you don't hunt anymore, Scott? I don't. I, you know, I have a friend, and I'll mention his name. He's a great guy, Doc Kraft. You can look him up. I haven't seen Doc in a while. Doc Kraft has fought in five wars. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the, the trail of tears from Iraq. He's fought in five wars going back to Vietnam where he was a paratrooper and a Green Beret. Doc Kraft is currently an ER doctor, one of the best in the world. He's like 70 years old. He's still working. He's a psychiatrist, but most importantly, he's one of the greatest people I know. He is a musician. He owns the Doc Kraft Band that performs in local venues here in the, in the area. But Doc doesn't eat meat. Doc says he's a, he's a pescatarian at this time. Now, here's a man who's been in five wars. He says he just doesn't want to kill anything in the, in the last number of years. He just sees the life in them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it, people change. People change. And if you were to consciously start to accept that every hamburger you eat is a cow that died in pain, you'd probably, what are you going to wind up eating? You have to turn off your consciousness at a certain level. You know that there's a sect in India called the Jains, J-A-I-N-S. Have you heard of them? I have not. Okay, here's the problem. If we get overly sensitive to all of these things, and you've got to be very careful, you could wind up saying, I can't even eat a blade of grass because the blade of grass doesn't want to be pulled out of the ground. The Jains don't eat. Do you know what they do? They walk around with a net in front of their face that they wave because they don't even want to inhale the the dust for fear that they're killing a microbe. That's how crazy people can become. So don't think that the sensitivity ends with animals. It could go all the way up to the point of invisible creatures in the air. Uh, so we have to cut it off at a certain point and come to understand that we are designed, in my opinion, to eat animals. We are uh, omnivores. And our teeth are designed for it. Biologically, we're designed for it to eat the vegetables, fruits, and the, the flesh of other animals, whether it be um, uh, livestock or chicken or fish. The issue becomes the humane treatment of these animals and the humane slaughter of these animals and not killing them just for fun. I think that's the main point I'm trying to make. I don't think killing an animal for fun is something that the human being can engage in at this stage of our evolution. Do you? Not a normal person. Well, when I see the cowards going out to Africa with local guides and they hunt elephants or they hunt tigers in, in, in India, wherever they're killing them and wiping them off the planet, to me, these should be crimes. And I have no control over it. If I had, see, if I were Donald Trump, I would have done this alone. I would have created a special office of uh, the environment or a special office of uh, animal protection in the White House. And he would have had somebody like myself, and I'm not looking for a job. I can't even I can't even tell you. I don't want to work for Donald Trump or in the White House. I want to work for nobody. He needs such an office to win back millennials and to win over the women who put him over the finish line. I told Donald Trump that when I had a dinner, the first time I was lucky enough to be invited to his table at Mar-a-Lago. I had it the second time I was invited to meet her, and he said, I agree with you. 
and he was going to do something about it. I know he meant it because he put me in touch with the head of the, um, I forget, the EPA and another organization. I think I had two of them on the show a year ago. All of a sudden, everything stopped. That whole impulse to be sensitive to the environment and to the voters who care about it ended. And I don't know who came in and stopped it, but somebody did. But Donald Trump has to understand that just appealing to his base is not going to win this election for him. He, he, he has his base. He can shore up his base. That's important. But here's the big but. What about all the independents who voted for him because they didn't want any more of Obama-like people? You think they're going to vote for him again? What do you think? Well, I honestly think that there's no downside to what you're saying that he should promote is taking care of animals and the environment and those types of things. Not this whole Green Deal crap. But no, no, right. And it's a way to counter that whole that whole bulwark, that whole uh, juggernaut of the American left, which is the Green Deal. That could be countered with a great conservation individual in the White House who knows what they're talking about and isn't a, a flack or a phony. And uh, I try to make headway. I stopped. I don't even email them anymore. Do you know that? I stopped. They, they don't want to hear from me. I'll be very frank. Something has happened over the last few months where this administration has turned a blind eye to all the sensitive issues that they were once open to. And I don't know what that is. Maybe the Mueller thing destroyed any any such care. I really don't know. Scott, what business are you in right now? They might be focusing all their attention just on winning. And I understand. Scott, what business are you in now? You grew up hunting in Northern California. What are you in now? I sell restaurant equipment. I can use some. I can use a restaurant. Well... If you want to come, if you want to come down, and I'll hook you up. I got all kinds of special deals and stuff. I'll take. No, I'm kidding. You know, I used to dream of owning a restaurant. It's one of the toughest business on the pl- businesses on the planet, Scott. The few friends I know who went in it and are in it, it's very hard. You're one meal away from disaster. Scott, you're a great caller. I'm sending you a copy of my book, A Savage Life. I think you'll love it. You'll love that book. I think it's for a man with sensitivity. New York, Mark, we have time for a quick call right here. Mark, line five, what's on your mind, Mark? Dr. Savage, it's a pleasure again. Uh, we haven't evolved, unfortunately, to the point where our mind is capable of understanding what you're talking about. You're a little ahead of the time, Michael, like about a thousand years. You're one of those who didn't become a leader, unfortunately, in government. We're not ready for that yet. You can't handle it because you know it's too base and coarse. Are you with me, Michael? I'm listening to you. You're like a, you're like a biblical teacher now. Where are you coming from? I, I listen to you every day. I don't have a cell phone, so I, don't talk, I can't talk to most people. I'm writing a book, and it's, we're either going to devolve or we're going to realize ourselves. It's not gonna, wait, wait. So what did you say? We're either going to evolve or devolve? Devolution or realization of the self. The miracle is life. From a worm to an ant to a cell. But you have to have an intelligence level to understand. Right. Absolutely. So when I said I am the eagle, you got that. But when you got, when you got people in the radio who laugh at those who protect the environment and animals, and they brainwash millions of people every day into thinking that a real man doesn't care about stepping on an ant, a real man doesn't care about a chicken screaming as it's being, having its neck broken, a real man doesn't care about killing animals, what are you going to do with a society like this? Yourself, Michael. I've spoken to you before. You're way ahead of yourself, but you're necessary. You're necessary to get out to the two, three million people that can understand. But 
but you need a certain level of intelligence on this earth, and we've got to perfect certain areas of the world. We can't infect every Petri dish. Every nation is a Petri dish. It's an experiment. So if we take people in or we send them out, whatever it is, we can't be infecting places. They'll all be infected. We have to get to a point where we have a level of intelligence to understand a worm understand a cell, understand a quark. But this takes physics. This takes chemistry. But Mark, this is the whole reason for the liberal arts curriculum that is po- that once was popular in America that has been hijacked by the progressives and turned into a communist arts curriculum. The whole object of studying science and art and literature was to elevate the human mind away from the base. But what's happened is the left has hijacked these subjects and turned them into anti-American, anti-white screeds. Stay on the line. I love this conversation. It feels like old-time radio back in a minute. Savage. Before we continue in our discussion of things of the nature we are talking about, from the ant to the cosmos... I want to play a soundbite of one of the stupidest people in the history of American politics who represents millions upon millions of brainwashed young girls in particular who have been brainwashed in schools. And that is a, an individual named Occasional Cortex. Listen to the clip, too, and I'll tell you why I'm playing it. As much as it's technologically possible, I think we need to draw down our fossil fuels as much as as much as we possibly can. I don't think we should build another pipeline at all in the United States of America. It's a matter of our survival. I don't even think it's a matter of political opinion. It's scientific fact. So here's a stupid girl. I keep saying bartender, but that put this, puts down bartenders, and I know very intelligent bartenders. This is a stupid bartender. This is a classic brainwashed girl who learned at the feet of the Seltzer man, Bernie Sanders, to hate everything in America, who has no knowledge of which she speaks, knows nothing. Eliminate fossil fuels, eliminate pipelines. Now, I could go into the whys and the why nots and the this and the that. These are the same people who want to eliminate cows that fart, saying that methane is destroying uh, the environment. Now, if you think this is new to me, you're wrong. I read about this 15 years ago in San Francisco. There's an idiotic group here that started in with the farting cows. I mean, I've been following this a long time. So they would like to eliminate cows. They'd like to eliminate uh, dairy herds. They'd like to eliminate livestock. Do you have any idea where this goes? I do. I have written about it. I have told you what happened in Stalin's Soviet Union. It came from a different place by a different group for almost different reasons, but it ended up with mass starvation in Russia where 30 million people died because idiots like occasional cortex, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, meaning Soviet-type politicians, took over the government under a very strong leader named Stalin. And what they did was they started to demonize farmers. I'll say it again till you finally get the story. Just as this occasional cortex bug-eyed fool is demonizing Anyone she doesn't like, they demonized farmers and called them kulaks, just as you're being called a racist. And what followed after calling them kulaks was the farms were seized and uh, starvation ensued when the government took over the raising of crops. If anyone calls you a racist or teaches that whites are racist, 
you are to sue the school system. Sue them into eternity. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Yeah, it's summertime at The Savage Nation. School is going to be in session soon. Can you believe it? It started already. It started already. I know a friend of mine sent his son to high school, a Jewish guy, and the first thing he learned was that Israel is Hitler, Germany. Uh, Jews are evil. And under governor, uh, what is his name? The governor of the state of California. I don't even know his name, Newsom. There's an ethnic studies curriculum that is lauding Ilhan Omar and Rashida Talab. It is a world that is turned upside down and not for the better. Illinois governor has signed a bill mandating public schools teach LGBTQ history. Now, that's a long way from discriminating against LGBTQ people, isn't it? It's one thing not to discriminate against these people. It's another thing to promote these lifestyles over the lifestyle of the norm that will continue our society. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Do you understand how far everything has fallen? I said yesterday on this show that economically things seem to be okay, at least on the surface. But societally or socially, we've had a nervous breakdown. And I, th- I think it still stands. The country has had a nervous breakdown. Overnight shootings on an ICE facility as a result of Bernie Sanders, uh, occasional Cortex, and the others who have incited mobs to attack ICE. China is accusing Pelosi and McConnell of inciting chaos in Hong Kong. Americans are applying for jobs at the Coke Foods organizations after an ice raid kicking illegal aliens uh, off their jobs. We were told Americans wouldn't do the jobs is a total lie. Ordinary Americans who are having trouble getting by are applying for jobs after the illegal aliens are sent scurrying out of these factories. Did you know that? Meanwhile, the main yield curve inverts as a two-year yield tops 10-year rate, triggering recession warning. Meanwhile, occasional Cortex, the bug-eyed bartender, uh, has almost no known donors from her own district. They're almost non-existent. According to FEC records released uh, yesterday, occasional Cortex, the bug-eyed communist bartender, receives all of her money from out of the district and out of the state. Now you understand the rest of the story. They're all on michaelsavage.com. But what's uh, near and dear to me is the issue of the treatment of the earth and animals in it. Because I think that the um, there's no, no, no reason for me to editorialize. I have to explain it to you. In other words, how we treat the earth and how we treat animals around us indicates not only who we are, but where we're going to be as people and as a society and as a culture and as a civilization now and in the future. It's that simple. So that's why we have humane animal slaughter laws. That's why we have humane laws in place to begin with. And yet we have a group of retrogrades in the media who are making a mockery, a mockery of treating animals decently and humanely. 
and they're all conservatives. Now, you see, on the, here's the essence of why I'm so upset. When you have powerful people in the media who identify as conservatives mocking laws that are in place, mocking people who are sensitive to the treatment of animals, if you were an 18 to 20-year-old and you were listening to radio and you heard a bumptious, limp-wristed pig putting down the humane treatment of animals, mocking those who want to protect the environment, you would vote Democrat because you'd say, I'm not going to join those pigs. I will not join them. I do not want to be on the side of the bestial pigs. You have to understand what's going on in this country. It's not all one way or the other. You have millions of young people who are coming up who've never voted who will vote. They don't want to be on the side of the pig. Do you understand that? They want to be seen as decent people. Does that make them... Uh, what does that make them? Tell me, it makes them weak? All the people who love the environment and animals are, are suddenly fairies, weaklings, communists. You want to call them names? You'll be all wrong if you do. So I'm trying my best to reach audiences with this message. I don't know if I will. I do know that in the last hour I had one man who called who said he grew up as a hunter in Northern California. And after he heard the segment you're about to hear, from 2014, where I talked about how a bull feels before it's killed in front of a crowd of mad, maddened maniacs in Spain. He said he stopped hunting after hearing it. Maybe Limpaw can listen to this one. It might do him some good. Listen carefully, please. And I'm going to read you the poem on the running of the bulls. Look into my eyes. What you see is fear, pure terror, and sadness, too. I cannot even recall how I got to the situation, says the bull. I'm surrounded by people. I see faces. Hundreds of eyes staring at me. I can smell adrenaline, the roaring of a thousand excited voices that makes me sweat and tremble in fear. The bull says I also feel the panic of my mates and we get together. Perhaps we might be able to protect one another this way. But we do not attack. We do not kill. We do not know how to do that. Our horns were made to bring a fast solution to small quarrels among our groups and to defend ourselves in case of need. We do not have violence running down our veins and we reject confrontation. We are peaceful, thinks the bull. The bull says that is the reason why I run. I run in desperation along the streets, trying to get away from the harassment and the blows inflicted to us by the public. I imagine the countryside, the soft grass being gently rocked by the wind and the silence, the smell of lavender in the air and the tickles caused by some ants walking up my legs. And I try to find a way out and get back to the country. But they hit me. I'm, I'm cornered by the mob. People are running behind me. At both of my sides and before me, they are everywhere. They're in my way and I'm blinded. By those colors, red and white, I cannot control my body and I fall down. Something cracks inside my body and my skin is torn. There is blood coming out, my own blood. I try to ignore the pain, but I must run faster, faster with more strength. The bull says I run. I keep running while I'm bleeding along the streets, growing, crying. My mouth is foaming and my whole body starts to collapse. With every meter, my feet cower. I'm losing my hope. I try to get people out of my way by doing the only thing I can do, moving my head here and there in panic. Finally, I arrive at the bullfighting ring, the place where all tortures end. All this previous suffering has only been the beginning. The mob is waiting for me, and their laughter and applause are a bad omen for me. I can feel I'm facing the end of my life. I barely have any strength to fight back. My fate has been sealed. I am a bull, and I am already dead. Savage. I realize that that will be seen as, um, oh, I don't know, kind of like a fairyish thing, communistic perhaps. 
Might even be called a Democrat if I play that too often on the show, especially by those who are real tough men who call themselves conservatives. <laughs> Why, you have feelings for a bull? Are you like that guy Savage? He is probably a communist for having feelings for a bull. Real men don't have any feelings for animals. We snap the necks off chickens. We shoot and kill animals for sport, not for food. That's who we are. We're real Americans. In fact, we're great Americans. At least they tell themselves that. But, you know, I began in radio a number of years ago, and I was considered rather odd because I would say, oh, well, he's a political conservative, but he is an animal rights guy. He's a political conservative, but he's an environmental guy. How is that even possible? Well, I, I didn't just pick up this stuff. I've been doing it perhaps my whole life because I don't know why. I remember my father, who was an immigrant, was pretty smart. He had native intelligence, and he taught me things. And one of the things he taught me was that all living things want to live. He said, all things want to live. I didn't know what he meant. We'd walk down a street, I don't know, concrete, sidewalk, pavement. We'd see an ant, and he'd say to me, Michael, even that ant wants to live. I didn't quite get it, but he was teaching me something. He was teaching me about the... the, the sanctity of life, beginning with the ant. And so I was shaped to understand that everything wants to live. And uh, later on in years, I saw that to be true, whether it was a plant. You can go in your own garden. Go walk in the woods and see what's going on in the woods. If you actually tune in without drugs to what plants are doing and try to put on your brain uh, um, a fast-forward device inside your brain, so you see one plant trying to get in front of the other plant to capture sunlight coming from overhead. They're all photosensitive. All plants are photosensitive. They don't move away from light. They move towards light, and they all fight each other for the light. So you see there's a war going on in the world, whether it's the animals under the sea or the animals in the sky, and whether it's in our society or other societies. So where does society enter where does civilization begin it begins by not killing those who are weaker than us it begins by protecting the vulnerable in our society the old the very young but what's happened is that compassion has been perverted by the american left and turned into a suicide mission for the society at large where those who are quote vulnerable are actually the hybrid vigor that will kill all of us if we extend our, our compassion to them and not to our own. And I could, I could project this onto all subjects if you wish, but I have said for many years that ultra-tolerance will kill us. We're now at that point. In fact, we're past the point when you see people running for the presidency who embrace the illegal alien as superior to the indigenous native of this society calling us names, we have become like the bull to the Beto O'Rourke. We have become the bull to the Elizabeth Warren. We have become the bull to the Bernie Sanders communists. But we must not let them kill us, must we? Back in a minute. Savage. I don't know, maybe I'm too sensitive for the business I'm in, but this is the way I've been since I'm a little kid. And it's worked for me all of my life. I don't think you can be, you can be a little too sensitive in some places. I understand that. 
But to be bestial and feel nothing is another story. I never wanted to be that kind of person because I couldn't be. Again, I refer to a book because I began as a writer and I'll die as a writer. And I'm not ashamed to be a writer who's written many books. There are those who fake it, who put me down for having authored so many books. That's because they don't understand genius. Years ago, I wrote a book about my dog and me called Teddy and Me, Confessions of a Service Human. And the first chapter is called You Can Judge People by How They Treat Dogs. And as you well know, our Islamic friends do not have dogs. Did you know that? Oh, you didn't know that? You didn't know anything about that. And the book opens with this picture of me patting my little friend who's now 16 years old. He's blind. He's half deaf. His, uh, he's had cancer surgery, which he survived two years ago. And, oh, he breathes heavily right now. But I love the guy. I mean, he's like an old friend, you know. So uh, the book began with this. A neighbor recently said to me that he judges a man by how he treats dogs. I said, oh, I agree with that. In fact, I think it was a famous writer who wrote that. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm sorry. Who wrote that in those places where we go after we pass, when we get there, our pets are the masters and we're the pets. And how we treated our pets is how they treat us in those two places. I remember it was Steinbeck. I kind of like that. Now, that's not the reason that I treat my pets so well. But nevertheless, it's nice to hedge your bets. Well, my neighbor and I were also talking about the famous Teddy story of when he tried to rescue an ocean swimmer. Oh, yes. Now, Teddy is a little guy. He's only 11 pounds. He doesn't know how big he is or how small he is. Little dogs are like that. Being a purebred poodle, he is still in great shape. Well, that's when this book was written. About a year ago, he disappeared, and I thought he had drowned. You see, I live next to San Francisco Bay in a small house right on the breakwater. I usually watch Teddy like a hawk. Well, one day I looked around and yelled for him, but he was gone. He was nowhere to be found. I panicked and thought he had accidentally jumped in the water or had fallen and drowned. So I ran up and down my street asking my neighbors, have you seen Teddy? Everyone said they hadn't seen him. My heart dropped. I thought, my God, what do I do now? I took my eye off him for a second and he's gone. I don't know how I'm going to live with this. Soon enough, a man, another neighbor who swims in the bay, came walking down the street in his bathing suit. He had been swimming off my breakwater that morning. A middle-aged man and strong, he said to me, my God, that dog of yours is some wild animal. I said, what do you mean? He said, I thought that dog was a poof dog. He's so macho, though. I said, what do you mean? He said, didn't you hear what happened? I said, no. He said, well, I swim by your breakwater every morning. Teddy was out there, and he jumped in the water, and he swam out to me. He put his face right next to mine, looked at me right in the eye as if to say, are you okay? And then he swam back to the breakwater at an angle. As I continued to swim... Teddy would jump in the water every 10 or 15 feet, swim out to me, swim up to my face, and check me out to make sure I was okay. Then he would swim back to the breakwater, run down the rocks in the breakwater some, and continue onward down for about a quarter of a mile where it ended. I said, oh, my God, well, I, I don't know where the dog is. I went to the back of the house, which actually sits on the bay, and lo and behold, here comes little old Teddy, true heart covered with seaweed, full of mud running down the seawall, looking up at me and with his eyes saying, I'm sorry, Dad, I just had to do it. It's in my blood. That's the famous Teddy story, probably the best one, and it's 100% true. I told my neighbor that story the other day when he was telling me about how he judges a man by how he treats dogs. I said to him, you do know that Muslims hate dogs, don't you? Take it for what it is. Take it for what it is. Take it for what it is. And there it is. Life goes on. Teddy is probably the most, one of the most famous dogs in the world. Do you know that? 
It's funny when I walk with them. I'm not in the book that I'm talking about in real, real life. I love when I walk them sometimes in the mall. You get the Yentas with their dogs. And they say, what kind of dog is that? Now, here's a purebred poodle. They have usually a mixed breed, a, 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 a Mikapoo, a Hickapoo, a Wakapoo, a Lakapoo. I say, he's actually a purebred poodle. This is what your dog should look like. That's if I want to be nasty. Because they're trying to put me down. What kind of dog is that? They have a mixed breed. I have a pure breed. They're asking me what kind of dog is it, the schmucks, the Yentas in the neighborhood. I don't often say that, but if I don't like the way they look, I'll say he's a purebred poodle the way your dog ought to look before he was uh, mixed up with another breed. That doesn't mean the other dogs are bad, but Teddy's a purebred. It's that simple. And this, this dog behaves like a purebred, but, you know, after many a summer dies the swan, my friend. So here we are, Teddy and me, me and you. Maybe I should write a book called The Audience and Me, or Me and You, Conversations with Millions of People over a quarter of a century what would that be like me and you conversations with millions of people over a quarter of a century i wonder what form that book would take let's see well when i come back we'll talk about other subjects we have a special guest i know you're going to want to be here i'll be back in a moment welcome back to the savage nation as you well know i am an anomaly in the political sphere, in that I'm an animal protection person, earth protection person. I've spent 40 years on these issues in many ways, and I'm a proud conservationist. Now, what we're about to discuss, in my opinion, is not a left or a right issue. It's a survival issue, and that is the survival of the earth and everything in it. So we're going to speak with a man who knows a lot about it from his point of view. I never met him. Brett Hartel, Center for Biological Diversity. Welcome to the Savage Nation. Brett, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dr. Savage, for having me on. So I'm as concerned as you are about the rollback of protections for the earth and the animals. I'm very concerned at the direction that the administration has taken. And I've told my audience, I met with the president at the beginning, and he was very interested in my helping uh, protect animals in the earth. And something went wrong somewhere along the way about, I don't know, a year or so ago. It seems everything went to hell. And I don't know what it is. Why is this administration so rapacious now in its rollback of protections? Um, wow, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think part of it is um, a little bit of a disconnect between the people that are frankly, in positions high in the administration, like Secretary David Bernhardt, um, who has had his own agenda about the Endangered Species Act for many, many, many years before becoming the Secretary of Interior. He's been trying to accomplish uh, what has just happened in the last few days for a very long time. Um, and I what, what, what has happened in the last few days? He rolled back the, uh, the protections that's right. of what? what? What actually happened? Sure. So, in a nutshell, they weakened. But at first, they made it more difficult to protect uh, wildlife and plants that still haven't been listed. For for the ones that managed to get listed, uh, so protected under the Endangered Species Act, the protections are going to be weaker moving forward. And then for all other uh, wildlife, they've weakened the process by which we make sure that the federal government writ large. You know, the Army Corps of Engineers, Department of Transportation, every agency, they have an obligation to help conserve and recover endangered species. 
and they've weakened that obligation and made it easier to approve projects regardless of the impact to wildlife. All right, I understand. So the, the, the conservative side of my audience and of America would say, we had gone too far in the other direction and we had more concern for a bark beetle than we did for humans and economic development. How would, how would you answer them? Well, I think, I mean, it's important to remember that, you know, one, the Endangered Species Act was passed by Richard Nixon, and we've had Republican and Democrat administrations alike mm. that have implemented this law in a way that, one, has saved 99% of the species on the list from going extinct, but two, done so in a way that, you know, addresses economic um, reality. Uh, there are many ways that the law does allow and has allowed for considerations of economic harm, and, and they have done a good job of balancing it. And I understand that there's definitely disagreement at times, but this is so far overbroad, this is so capricious and, and almost gratuitous in terms of the scope of the rollback that I, I don't think it really is proportionate to sort of the, the gripes that are out there. Okay, I read the other day that this administration is about to grant some company, I don't know which one, up in um, Alaska, the right to do an open pit mine for gold right. that will be the, the, be the size of Manhattan, and it will threaten the salmon fisheries that are downstream from this open pit mine. Uh, and the salmon fisheries provide thousands of jobs for Alaskans. What, what is going on there? How can they be that stupid and that insensitive to the earth? How is that even possible in this, in this po- point in our evolution? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's baffling. I mean, this is this is one of the world's, it is what, the world's best salmon fishery and salmon run, period. I mean, this is an incredible uh, river. It's an, an untouched, pristine area. And they're building a gold mine because somebody has the ear of EPA administer, administrator Andrew Wheeler. And, you know, it, it's baffling because it's so penny wise pound foolish in the long run that we are destroying something that can never be recreated isn't this an australian gold mining company that's going to come in and rape the earth in alaska yeah it's rio tinto i believe right so this government will cater to an australian gold mining company over the american fishing industry in in alaska it's hard to believe now is this a matter of law or is this can, can this be stopped uh, um, they, that can still be stopped. They still need to uh, comply with the Clean Water Act, which is how the pre- that, which is why the previous administration blocked this project. That is not a done deal. Uh, my organization, you know, we look at you know wildlife in particular. There's there's actually this fascinating freshwater harbor seal found in a lake that's near the mine called the Iliama Lake Seal, which is one of only like maybe two or three populations in the world of seals that live entirely in fresh water. And that population will also potentially be at risk, maybe even wiped out because of this mine. So we're looking at trying to protect it under the Endangered Species Act as well. So the way, so the conservative, the knee-jerk conservative, many of them listen to my show and they're starting to hate me because I'm too much of a conservationist for them. Uh, They start to think that paving over the wilderness is the right answer for everything or killing everything that flies or swims or walks is very patriotic. Uh, I know the kind of headwinds I'm facing. I could just imagine what you face every day uh, in in this quest. When will this come up for a vote, this rape of the Alaskan wilderness for an, for an Australian gold mine? Is this going to even come up for a vote in Congress? When, when is it going to be even debated in Congress? Uh, well, unfortunately, it won't um, because the this is 
something that has to be permitted by the EPA, the Army Corps of Engineers, and, you know, probably state authorities. But it's an administrative process. They actually don't need congressional approval. There are, there are efforts in Congress to block this, um, but obviously they'd have to be signed by the president. Um, so if, you know, th- there will be lawsuits and there will be efforts to stop this mine, but it, it does not need a vote, unfortunately. And uh, the, you know, the EPA, it, it's really in Andrew Wheeler's hands. Well, how did he become? The, it used to be Scott Pruitt. Wasn't he fired or he quit? Uh, he was uh, pushed out over uh, some of his uh, poor choices in terms of uh, his personal spending and uh, ethics decisions. Yes. And yeah, now I, I spoke with Mr. Pruitt on this show. I was introduced to him by President Trump when we were supposed to work together on clean water and things of that nature. But uh, who is this gentleman who's running this organization, this department now? Where does he come from? Um, well, Andrew Wheeler was a, um, uh, a lawyer and a lobbyist uh, primarily for uh, the coal industry, but also large corporate clients. He, he's, he's like David Bernhardt. He's a very smart man. He knows the law very well. He understands how agencies work. And he was a deputy uh, under Scott Pruitt, and he has now taken over and is basically doing what he did as a lobbyist, but now as the administrator of the EPA. Oh, God. <laughs> so why would the head of our EPA permit an Australian or other foreign entity uh, gold mining company to come in and rape our land in Alaska in a pristine wilderness and destroy thousands of jobs in the fishing industry and destroy the earth at the same time. What, how does that even work? Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, we are dumbfounded by it, too. I mean, it's it's, you know, but this is it. You know, you say it's not a left or right issue. This would be a natural issue for conservatives who are conservationists who would say no to this gold mine. Why would any conservative conservationist want to see Alaska raped and to destroy fishing jobs and fisheries and a salmon run? Why would they want that unless they're total ignoramuses? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know you're dumbfounded by it because I'm raising issues in a way that and people, you don't speak this way. You're an attorney. And you're an attorney. You're an attorney. I'm not an attorney, so I just let it all hang out. But listen to me. This is a big issue for me. I'm not going to let this one go. I will have my audience, however big or small it is, and how many people believe in it or not. I will. We will lobby the president to stop this if we can. That's if he's not got a deaf ear to us. I hope to God that sensitive individuals around the president, including his wonderful daughter Ivanka and his intelligent uh, and very sensitive son-in-law. Um, Jared Kushner, who are very interested in environmental issues, will hear me on this because I will help them understand how this has to stop. It must stop. And to me, this is a bellwether of everything that's wrong with what's gone on in this administration with regard to the environment and conservation. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'd appreciate it. I, I think it, it's entirely within EPA Administrator Wheeler's hands. He has the, he has the power to stop it. He could if he so, wanted. So my listeners could... If I set up a petition, lobby him to stop this, and I could send that on to the White House, for example, to to let them know why I'm doing it and what I'm doing. Yeah, well, that would be fantastic. Could you help me in in some way when we get off the air? By it doesn't have to be sure. today. Whenever you got the time, could you just send us a one page thing on this gold mine and what it will do to the environment of Alaska and the fact that it's not even an American gold mining company? Yep, absolutely. Uh, I re- listen, we're talking to a guy who spent his whole life doing this, Brett Hartel, 
Center for Biological Diversity. And I know that most, quote, conservatives immediately think, oh, environmental wacko, because they've been brainwashed into thinking that anyone who protects the environment is a communist and a whack job. What they don't understand is that had it not been for people like yourself, 50, 70, 100 years ago, even further back than that, going back to Grecian times, in ancient Greece, they were protecting the environment because there were rapacious individuals who would have wiped out the animal population of ancient Greece. Even Teddy Roosevelt, as macho as he was, was in fact one of the first American environmentalists, wasn't he? Yeah, and, uh, and thank you for that. And, and, you know, Richard Nixon signed every one of the major environmental laws that this country has, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species Act. Amazing. You know, Ronald Reagan signed improvements to the Endangered Species Act as well. So, okay, now this is so important to know that Nixon and Reagan were conservationists and good shepherds of the earth. Something's so wrong here, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know how we can have a, an administration that is so blind to what is b- being done either around them without them even know, knowing or doing it in complicity with them. I don't understand this. And if I want to make it just simply a political issue, I don't think that the suburban women and the millennials who may have come aboard are going to come aboard if they see that this administration is so immune to these considerations. Yeah. Well, look, leave that to me. I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And I don't I'm not going to give you a litmus test on all issues or you, you don't have to give me one. We all have to join together to save the earth and everything that's in it as best as we can. And I thank you for being with us today on the Savage Nation. I'll be back in a moment. Savage. The big issue really today is the economy. The U.S. economic outlook has changed so drastically over the last 12 months from one of clear sailing and a continued growth to one of rising risks for uh, the future. And right now, you know what's going on. The Dow Jones went down 800 points today. Trump says it's the Fed behind market turmoil, not the trade war. You know, it's not his tariffs. He's not the tariffs. It's the idiot. Mr. Powell, who we appointed by raising interest rates four times last year. Now, I know this is very complicated, and I don't claim to be an economic expert, but I will tell you this. There's a little truth on both sides of this story. The Federal Reserve is supposed to protect the economic health of the nation by controlling interest rates. They can't just sit there like dummies and do what a president wants. That's why it's an independent agency. So we have an issue here that's very bad, and um, you may not agree with me. You may say that it's time to take the gloves off, throw the Treasury Secretary out, throw out the guy who runs the Federal Reserve, and let the President run both the Fed and the Treasury. If you want to believe that, then you believe that we should have a dictatorship. I don't. But let's go back to the issue of the earth and everything that's in it. Richard in San Francisco, thanks for calling. You're on the Savage Nation. What's on your mind, Mr. Richard? Well, uh I had the uh, honor in uh, 1971 to uh, start an environmental enforcement program in San Francisco and then was hired by the EPA to implement the style of program that I had, which I call pragmatic regulations that are realistic and sound enforcement. Working with the EPA, I... I found uh, that uh, they were, uh, to be respectful, uh, very uh, 
intellectual folks. They wanted me to complete my master's in environmental planning and so forth and so on. In the meantime, they implemented my program. Um, what, well, what's the? I'm sorry, we're very short of time, and the show's almost over. Can you please give us the punchline? Yeah, the the punchline is that uh, environmental programs have to be pragmatic. They cannot be radical. They have to. A hundred percent right. We can't hear the earth's coming to an end unless we throw our cars into into the river. I get it, and um, that's why we have to walk a very fine line and not throw out every environmental law and call them environmental wackos. The whole point is, is that most conservatives think that if you're at all concerned with the environment, you're somehow a left-winger. The exact opposite is true, as I've made that point many times in the show, that the conservation movement should belong to the conservatives, political conservatives in this nation. And uh, I've been trying to make that point, well, for a very long time, and I hope that the president comes to understand that he, need, he needs to become a Teddy Roosevelt-like conservationist if he is to get reelected. Now, I want to remind you that Teddy Roosevelt... As macho as they come, real man, you know, real conservative kind of guy, Teddy Roosevelt created the first national parks. And what if, if we had talk radio at that time, what would they have called him? Some kind of weird socialist? Some kind of environmental wacko, that Teddy Roosevelt? We don't need those national parks. Why pave them over and turn them into hotel sites? Don't be an environmental wacko, Mr. Roosevelt. Don't go along with those left-wing goons, Mr. Roosevelt. So you understand that you have to understand in order to understand. And uh, there are so many things I could say about Roosevelt's great work as a conservationist, which I may do another day, but I'm sure you could research it yourself in less than three minutes and find out that all the national parks, or at least the beginnings of our national parks, were because of this great president, Teddy Roosevelt. We now seem to be in a retrograde situation where everything is being unraveled and turned backwards, if not 70, then 100 years. This is not good. And if I be the only one in the radio business who knows it and says it, and I lose half my audience, I don't apologize, because I'm doing the right thing. The Westwood One Podcast Network. <laughs>